You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. You're listening to episode number 68 of Living the Dream with Rory O'Malley. Audition side job swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hello, dreamers. Rory O'Malley here. Thanks for listening to Living the Dream. If you like the podcast, you know what to do. Write a review. Um, tell your friends. Give me a good rating on iTunes. I so appreciate that when you do that. <laughs> we just want everyone to know about the podcast so we can keep doing them. Um, I'm in New York City. I am so excited. It was kind of a last minute trip. I'm here to talk with folks in the industry about hashtag belt the vote, belt the vote dot org, B-E-L-T, the vote dot org. This is the movement to get the entire theater community to vote November 6th. There's a midterm election. We all need to go out and make our voices heard. But to do that, we have to make sure that we're registered. So what I'm going to ask of you is that you go to that website, make sure that you're registered to vote, and then vote on November 6th. This coming week is National Voter Registration Week, and we're actually doing a ton of voter registration drives in theaters all across the country, from uh, ART in Boston to the Geffen Playhouse in Los Angeles to the Goodman in Chicago to my hometown, the Cleveland Playhouse is is joining us. So there are... Um, Tons of theaters that are joining us in, in, in this and, and schools, my school, Carnegie Mellon University. If you want your school, if you want your, uh, theater to get involved, it's so easy. Just go to beltthevote.org and you can, um, sign them up. <laughs> you can let me know that, um, they want to participate if it's your theater and you can speak for them and, uh, just go to the contact page there because the person answering that page is me. So I will find out right away that you want to be involved with belt the vote. Um, yeah, but just go to register to vote folks. It's so easy. And we're so lucky to be partnering with Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, and uh, an organization called When We All Vote. It's um, Michelle Obama's nonprofit that is getting people everywhere to to get registered to votes because when we all vote, things change for the better. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm doing here. And I'm also seeing as many Broadway shows as I possibly can. Um, I've seen three so far. I saw um, Nicolette Robinson, my buddy Leslie Odom Jr.'s wife in Waitress. She was glorious, and I just loved that show. And then I just saw Pretty Woman last night with um, my buddy Andy Carl. And uh, we'll get into why that's a, such a special show for me. I loved the show. It was, it was so much fun. The audience went crazy for it. Um, but, uh, the writer, the co-writer of Pretty Woman is Gary Marshall, the late, great Gary Marshall. And he directed and wrote, um, Happy Days, the musical, his hit TV show. He turned into a musical several years ago. And I played Richie Cunningham, the Ron Howard character. And Andy Carl played the Fonz for a period of time. And that's when I first met Andy and absolutely thought he was such a 
stand-up, fantastic guy, and he's my guest today. Um, I talked to him earlier today in his dressing room. It was such an emotional thing to get to see him in this Broadway show because he was fantastic, but also because of all that it would mean to Gary to have a hit show on Broadway, but also to have Andy representing um one being one of the leads in the show, somebody that he knew, one of his one of his people. They will give it a shot. That's my Gary. Um <laughs> he he was the greatest man ever and and a mentor to me and to so many people, pretty much anyone who ever worked with him. Um you learned a lot from Gary uh when you were in his presence. And um he's the one who taught me how to live the dream. Speaking of which, like he he of when it comes down to how you want to live in this business, Gary was the guy who um, I kind of took the cue from of surrounding yourself with your family, friends, and people you can be excited to show up to work with. And uh, I can t- I can tell that that's what's going on in the Nederlander Theater and that Andy Carl is a, a, a leader of that Um He's in the show with his wife, Orfe, and she's a powerhouse. Um, And she happened to stop by his dressing room in the middle of our interview to say hello. And so I just said, hey, just come on in, just join the interview. So we have her as a special, special guest appearance. Um, And yeah, what else can I say? Pretty Woman was great. Samantha Barks is genuinely a star, truly. And... um, and Eric Anderson, my buddy, uh, who is also from the Gary Marshall world back at the Gary Marshall Theater, the, the Falcon Theater, as it used to be called. So it was a really, um, it was, it was, it felt like coming home seeing the show last night. It was very special. Uh, I think that Andy was very honest and I just so appreciate when people come on this podcast and they don't sugarcoat stuff. I hope that that is beneficial to you. I love talking to people at all different aspects of this business and getting the highs and the lows and the hardships and the ecstasy and agony of, of their life. And um, I think it's harder sometimes for, for people who have had such success like Andy to, to be honest about what the hard parts are. And I think that he was so honest and articulate about uh, the hardships of, of having a show not succeed and how you pour your entire heart into it. I've seen Andy pour himself into a role and uh, he really gives his all. So it, it only naturally would be painful when um, his last show, Groundhog Day, did not um, run as long as it should have. So here's my conversation with one of the current stars of Pretty Woman on Broadway, Mr. Andy Carl. Broadway's Andy Carl. Um, hi, Andy Carl. Hello, Rory O'Malley. I am so excited to be in your dressing room here. My God. The Nederlander. Last time we were in a dressing room together, <laughs> uh, I was much younger. Well, so was I. Yeah, I know. I look at you and remember how young I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were in Happy Days the Musical at the Falcon Theater. Hey. Hey. You With were the a Gary Marshall production. That's right. That's right. And now we're in a dressing room. At Pretty Woman at the Nederlander in a Gary Marshall production. Yes. It isn't amazing how 
things come together and, and all the connections. I, I mean, I, when I started doing Happy Days, the musical readings with Gary, I had no idea that it was going to lead to me meeting so many talented people like you. I remember when you came in, I was like, oh, man, this guy's a real oh, deal. Thanks, man. I just thought I was <clears throat> just trying to, which Joey McIntyre was uh, the Fonz right. at the time. Yeah. Joey like, Mack was the Fonz, and he either had to leave early or like was a recording or yeah, something. Yeah. We extended. It was a big hit in I just remember, uh, like, I think it was you and I, we were in a car together following Joey McIntyre in, in L.A. because it was like one of his last nights and we were all just like, you know, I was tr we were transferring over to me going into the show, but we were all hanging out. I think we were playing poker. I don't know what we were doing. I'm sure. But uh, we were in a car and Joey's like calling you on the phone saying, can I borrow a few bucks cause to go to the McDonald's? And <laughs> under your breath, you're like, don't give him any money because he, you'll never see it back. <laughs> I was like, no, not Joey back. Oh, yeah. No, Joey is, he's, <laughs> not he that. actually, he was probably just giving me shit because I was so broke all the time <laughs> and trying to get money from me. He actually, exactly. I remember during that production, I was wearing the same tennis shoes that were so busted. They fell apart while we were in rehearsals wow. and he ended up buying me a new pair of tennis shoes oh, see? before the end of the run. Then he always needed money from McDonald's. Yeah, so, see, you know. so it, but it, so it added up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, you came, you came in from New York. You know, they flew you out. We're gonna get this uh, guy to fill in for for Joey, and we all knew like, oh, you were the real Broadway deal because at that point yes. you had done Alter Boys. Wow, yeah, right. Yep. What else had you done at that point that we knew? Had I done? At that point, yeah, I, I think I was. I did I Saturday so. Night Fever, where right, where right, I met my that wife. Was, yes, and, uh, I th probably did. No, Wedding Singer was directly after. Uh, yes, and I saw you days. in it. Yeah. I saw you in it. I saw well, Legally Blonde and Wedding yeah, Singer. Yeah, because I didn't you get Legally Blonde while you were doing Happy Days with us? Uh, no, I got. I was doing Maybe Dakino. I was doing yeah. workshops of Legally Blonde. Blonde. Uh, this is 2005, yeah, six. God, yeah, this is this, a, this is a lifetime ago. All the shows ago. start to yeah, mix together. Yes, they do. Um, now, Legally Blonde happened right after Alter Boys oh, because Jerry okay. Mitchell and we're in a Jerry. I'm in a Jerry Mitchell yes. production here at at, at uh, Pretty Woman. <laughs> saw me in Alter Boys, and ah. he's like, "I want that guy to come in and do something." So he like gave me all these different roles, including Kyle, the UPS guy. And yeah. uh, during one of the workshops, I they used to have uh, Elle Woods acceptance into Harvard. She was trying to get people to recommend her via video screen. So they had uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Jack Nicholson. And I was supposed to dress up like these guys and be like, hear me now. And I tell you later, Elle Woods will get into Harvard. You will love her. You know, it was this kind of just character madness. And I was like, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Elle Woods belongs in Harvard. <laughs> It was this whole montage of stars, oh, Hollywood stars, God. getting Elle Woods into uh, Harvard, but they cut it because they just, it was just so It random. was just too good. It was too random. No, I, I mean, that, that's, I love that because that is so you. You're a goofball. 
I don't yeah. think people realize that because you're a leading man on Broadway, but I remember you like coming to Happy Days and showing us cartoons that you had made. Oh, was it like a poop, poop <laughs> yes. cartoon? Oh, I was going to let you decide it. That's like the only cartoon the I made. <laughs> well, you were like, I made this cartoon. It was hilarious. It was, yeah. It was, and it had, it had me something and Jeremy to do with poop. Kushner. During, oh, really? In, in Philadelphia, during Bright Lights Big City. Oh. I don't know how random we were, but it was pretty random. Came up with a. The Adventures of Poop. So it was like it was <laughs> yeah some Spaniard. Wow. He was a he was a poop and a Spaniard, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. had adventures in inside the toilet bowl. He had a lot of adventures, and I uh, I don't think I ever looked at you the same way after watching that cartoon. I will always do On something. Yeah. Bonds, I was like I will always like eventually go to that point where people don't know if they should be offended or <laughs> or laugh. It's or just like look at me like what what are you doing? You have you have a bit of a twisted sense of humor. You're a funny guy. You're a character guy. Clearly, you can come up with these different impressions, and and you are a leading man. But really, there's a there's a character actor. Yeah, in I was there. watching. I was watching way too much Bugs Bunny and Steve Martin when I was growing up. Um, and Where did you grow up? In Baltimore, Maryland. Ah. A weird town too, and I'm actually trying to write a script like based on all the weirdness, sort of like of my childhood and of growing up there and being an artist. And I, st- I started out painting and being a you know a visual artist before yeah. I got into theater. Um, when I was in high school, I was like really dedicated to art. Like I was going to all the museums and I was painting. I was learning all this abstract art. I was learning all this stuff. I went to Maryland Art Institute during the summer to study with some of the professors there, and. Uh, it was it was a fun weird world, and my brother is very much he, my older brother who lives in San Francisco now. He's he's very much a hands on visual artist as well. He kept with it. He's such like a bohemian. He uh, I think the last thing they he just did was going on a raft down the Hudson with a whole bunch of other artists that they they had built this raft first of all. The Hudson and, here in New York. Yeah, and the then they wow. were creating pieces of like artwork on the Hudson and that was but he's wow. made stuff for Burning Man he's kind of like you know into into that way that sort of eclectic. did you grow up in a really artistic <clears throat> no like my dad like, was an appliance refinisher but it was very hands-on like he knew welding yeah we were taught you know how to you know sand and stain and do all the stuff that all the he, basics for Burning Man yeah so it was taking all those elements and using them in visual but my mother what she played piano for her church uh, and she studied music and so that's kind of where I started gearing myself towards that and um, church singing so church singing was part of me, me yeah I don't, I don't not, not a lot or at least got you to singing. sing with Dolly Parton yeah I was an altar boy but that you know randomly like I actually was an altar boy lighting wow. candles and stuff like that in church in a catholic church uh Episcopalian uh okay so catholic light yes exactly yes like 80% less fat <laughs> <laughs> maybe even more or less fat <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you grew up and, and your mom kind of was the reason that you were into music. Yeah, totally. She had a, she had the West Side Story album and the Jesus Christ yeah. Superstar album around the house. We had videos of like Superstar and West Side Story and Tommy. Yeah. Um, so I actually got to do a tour of Tommy. Uh, it was like the non-equity, like bus and truck, yeah. big league theatricals, sleeping on the bus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I loved every minute of it when I was like 
20 or something like that, just like wow. on the road singing the Who's Tommy. Did you go to Cleveland? Maybe I saw I'm you. I'm sure we did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I we went to that. I think I saw every that. city. It was amazing. All those that are the big ones and the small ones. Yeah. 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 So, so <clears> where <throat> did it, did you just start doing theater in high school or? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, like the summer musicals, uh, that public schools would put on. Uh, I was singing in the chorus as one of my electives, um, because uh, you know, music was just around the house. We piano yeah. was around the house. Yeah. Uh, so I started singing there in high school, and I think one of the teachers like just wanted me to audition for a random chorus person in uh, was it anything goes. Mm-hmm. So I was like random guy in the back right. in a sailor suit, kind of like anything goes. Uh, <laughs> and I was Billy. You were Billy. Was See, Billy. you had a yeah. part. I don't. I don't think you had a part. But come next year, Oklahoma, Judd Fry. Oh man, big big yeah. jump. And uh, the year after that, uh, General Bulmus in Lil Abner. Oh. That's an obscure weird. Movie. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know that that show. <clears throat> it's. I just like saying Lil Abner. Yeah, it's it's a weird show, and it's very political, and it's very really. Yeah, it's it's all like based on the cartoon these political cartoons from back in the day, and it's like. How you know the government wants to like bomb this this uh, was it I can't remember the name of the, the town that they lived in uh, because no one lived no one was worth anything there so they wanted to bomb this place what? just to like have a bomb explode. That's what Little Abner's. They about. wanted to clear it out. I figured it was just like an old musical about getting no, the daughter so married. They, they were like trying to prove the the mayor was trying to prove that the town was like you know worth something and. I think they uncover a statue of, of like Holy a shit of a general from back in the day. Wow! You know, General Bull Moose was the bad guy, though. He wanted he oh, wanted so you're to a villain. clear out the town and buy it out. I, I can't remember exactly what he did, but he was the villain with all the wow. money. Wow! I mean, Judd, you were starting to get like put into yeah. But me and uh, Evan Farmer, who was the other guy who got uh, all the lead he got the leads i always got the villain so oh, yeah so i thought for sure little abner i was gonna get the lead but that didn't so evan but Damn look, now, evan. evan now i don't know where he is you know well he's probably listening he's probably making a lot more money than i yeah. am. <laughs> um so you, you, did you go to college for theater what did you uh, decisions on college? i went to college for music so uh-huh. i went to two years at towson state university to study music and i uh where's that in Towson, Maryland, which I just went back to talk to my high school, actually. Um, that was, you know, that's, I don't know if you've ever talked to your high school. Like, yeah. It's so weird. It's yes. like you can go back and the smells come back and yes. the same, some of the, some of the walls have changed, but it's definitely the same feel. For me, it's like also you like see teachers or rooms and you're like, oh, these are all just people. Yeah. Like. This was something different to me back then, but totally. now I realize, oh, these are all just people doing their best yeah. and, you know, getting through the day. And then I was supposed to speak to all these kids right. and sort of like trying not to panic, but, you know, because it's like, well, how am I supposed to talk to them? Yeah. I guess I've had enough experience talking to people um, and just sort of get them because who knows if one of those kids sees me talking about something that really clicks with them Yeah, um, and they want to be a part of it any words of advice I can give or any you know, constructive criticism I can give, 
is did they I guess worth for it. you as well? No, oh, oh. no, they, well, the, they we are, I went into the core, the chorus room, uh-huh. sort of where I found my first time, you know, going into theater, really being on stage, right? Really? So, uh, and I was in that room, and I think they were singing the alma mater, which uh-huh. is, which I also realized like it's, it's kind of cryptic, and it yeah. was like. Yeah, deep within our hearts. So da 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 da. Until death do us part. It was oh, there. You're there was like death to your in school. it. <laughs> it was like death in it. It was wow. weird. It was like dark. It's very dark. So, <laughs> Wait, were they singing it when you walked into? Yeah, the room? I walked in the was room while they're singing the monitor because I think they actually have to sing it at like uh-huh. some event. Mm. They weren't doing it for me. I was walking into. It the sounds room. like highly produced that you're like walking in, like we're reality TV show cameras yeah. there or something. No, I, I wish there was no one to document it other than kids with their phones and Instagram. Wow. So, um, so, so you say that is the room where you really started to form that yeah. you wanted to that be was, a professional. I, I, that's where I in guess theater. the spark of like being on stage, like, oh, this is interesting. Huh. Um, and and you, you got Tommy at twenty. So did you leave school to do that? Uh, I did, like, I went to two years at Towson State. And yeah. I was like, this. Can I curse? You can say fuck, fuck on fuck this. Fuck this. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> it was to, to, it was sort of like studying to be a vocal, vocal coach, a vocal right. teacher. Right, right, right. And I realized that I didn't like any of the people in the class. Hmm. They were all very uh, critical and I think guy, somewhere guided on a road, somewhere where I was like, I'm not a part of this journey with these people who want to be vocal teachers, which is a great, you know, yeah, they're study. on their path, but it's not the one. That um, I it was want. just not, it was something that was like, what are you all doing? And what are you being really, uh, adamant about being critical and about making sure that everything's perfect. And right. so I was like, I, just, I don't live that way. And I still don't live that way. Yeah. I like the imperfections of what we do. It's kind of what is amazing and fun about theater. Yeah. Um, so I just I just stopped going because I wanted to do some theater and I started doing a theater in town like the the uh, dinner theaters in Baltimore in Baltimore Baltimore yeah. dinner theaters nice Act Two dinner th- theater off Pulaski Highway we have a couple of uh, Toby's dinner theater veterans here which is Toby's in Columbia Maryland um, Jake Odomark and Alan uh, there's three of us who work there. So really? it's really interesting to like, oh, you guys are like Baltimore, Washington, you know, people that all I mean, work like the same dinner thing. theaters across America are, are great sources of income for actors <laughs> and actually giving careers to people all across the country. Yeah. When you can realize you can get paid to do this, yeah. it was kind of, that was, that was the first like yeah. spark of like, oh, interesting. I, I love doing this and I'm being paid to do this. It wasn't, it was hardly anything, but at yeah. the time it was like. It's this or work at Seven Eleven. Yeah, I'd much rather yeah. sing and dance and jump around like an idiot for you know two and a half hours. When did you realize that you had to move to New York, or was that did that happen by accident? Uh, yeah, I mean, I Toby's Dinner Theater was kind of like the last dinner theater I worked at, and it's one of the last that actually like exists in that area because the ones I was working at were very small and right. compact and. Don't know how they made any money, but they did. Mm-hmm. They made a lot of money off of off of uh, big group sales of sure, you know, old folks' homes coming in yeah. to see great old shows, which is they they wanted to they, they these old folks want to senior see these, centers keep these, the arts alive. They they, they, they want to see these yeah. great 
old school musicals, yes. these great, uh, which are the only reason why I like know and love all these classics. Right. Um, and you realize where it all comes from. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess like now, it, you know, in my forties there, all those folks are dead. dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so well, and you're carrying my that, generation yeah. has to, you know, fall in love with it. You're so. telling people all about little Abner. I mean, yeah. you're doing it. Exactly. I'm doing it. <laughs> Any more obscure classic musical theater references I can make. Um, but, you, but so that took you to New York or yeah, was so Toby's was the, the last one, but it was also eight shows a week. Yeah. And it was, it was like, you're realizing, Oh, this is like, this is how Broadway works. Right. This is how, you know, theaters that that's run amazing that it's a Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesdays through Sundays and have your one day off. And this is the full commitment. Then you sort of get your, you realize how much work goes into it and yeah. then how much, uh, time goes into it, and, and if you're really passionate about passionate about it, and you love it, which I did, like I would sleep in my car in the parking lot some nights because I didn't want to go home because I knew I had to get up and start cleaning silverware for the next day to start doing the show the next really? day. Really, like you had to start cleaning silverware to, as a part of the part of waiting tables. So it's like Toby's is a dinner theater, so I'd wait tables as well as, or I would do the kid show in the morning, right, and then they'd clean up shop. I'd go, you know, get a nap and a meal, come back and do the evening show, adult show. Um, Holy shit. Oh, yeah, but it was like... Yeah, I loved, loved every single second of it. I mean, my car smelled like Burger King, uh, and I would wash, you know, take a shower at the theater, and it was like, but this is how it's supposed to be, right? This yeah. is the full commitment. This is my job. Yeah. Um, and I loved it. I mean, it was, it was interesting to keep the repetition going. I'm sure that's what colleges do. You know, that was my, that was my learning center. That was instead of going to college, I actually like performed and performed and performed and performed. Yeah. As much as I possibly could. It's amazing. I mean, that, that, that actually, I've heard that from so many people on this podcast that their education was actually doing it. There's a lot of people who spend a lot of money at schools (laughs) who don't get to do it for those four years yeah. even. And, you know, they leave with a lot of debt. It's it, it really is another part of your schooling, even if you do go to college. Once you get out, you just have to do every piece of theater that comes your way. Any yeah. performance opportunity that comes yeah. your way, that's kind of like your graduate school. So you just kind of skipped right to graduate school. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose, it works differently. I think, it, you know, look, I'm, I'm a person that would get hired for these things. Yeah. There's people that could be in my position that wouldn't be hired. And so mm-hmm. therefore they would have to go work Seven Eleven wait table somewhere else, which I've also done. But yeah. I was lucky enough that I got to that Toby Ornstein liked me and kept putting me in shows. Wow. Um, if it had been, a, you know, some, somebody else who didn't get that opportunity, they would, they wouldn't be doing that. So yeah. I'm thinking in the same way, colleges and schools, it's like, if you're, if you're lucky enough and with any job, really, if yeah. you're lucky enough to leave school and get employment right away, that's a small percentage of people. Very. Yeah. Um, you're still looking at trying to make it all work. So yeah. either way you have to find that education that feeds you. Um, and what, what works for you? Because I've seen people that get right out of college and they're gangbusters. They, they never stop working. Um, I've also seen the other side of that. It was just like, Somebody didn't really like lost interest or didn't, didn't feel like it was, they fit in or like you get here and you realize it's not what you expected. And it's, it's all, 
variations of luck yeah. and time. Yeah. I mean, I feel like everybody has uh, different, the, the same experience at different moments. Yeah. You know, like we all have a amount of rejection and success, but it all comes at different parts of the journey. So you kind of just have to be willing to ride on all parts of it. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's, and it's like people come to see Pretty Woman or they saw Groundhog Day and they remember me like, oh man. Rocky was really your starting point, man. Really, <laughs> you're like, no, no. My success has been since I've been working as an actor. Yeah. I feel really good about the fact that I was back at Toby's getting yeah. these, you know, leads in these shows. And I feel great that I was like, I moved to New York and I was like working at the Akron Dinner Theater that, you know, we'd, they would fly, cast to New York and fly us out. And yeah. I'd be there. I was like, wow, man, I'm, I'm making it as an actor. Yeah. I'm actually like working. As a musical theater artist. Yeah. Um, you have a lot of gratitude. I mean, it's one of the things yeah. I remember most about you when you came to work on the show. Because you had so much gratitude to be putting on the leather jacket and playing Fonz. <laughs> you know, for it's a limited crazy. time and working with Gary. And you were so excited to be there. We'd only worked together for like maybe a month. I don't remember how long yeah. of a period of time I thought it was, it was. terrible in the show. But you were fantastic in the show. And but I, also, I, I don't think I ever think I'm like... There's only one or two times where I'd be like, yeah, I was, I was perfect. I mean, well, it's also, it, it's hard to live up to Henry Winkler. You know, you've had to yeah. live up to his first other Emmy performances. Win the other day, by the way. Yeah, I know. Come on. Wasn't that so hey, exciting? Henry. He's the, he's just the best. I don't um, know if you saw him in Barry, but he's really, oh, really funny. Brilliant. He's just totally brilliant. But, you know, he's um, he created a character that we both grew up with that was the, the, the king of cool. So the fact that you were, like, taking that on so quickly. Yeah. It could have been, you know, you, you, you came in with just total gratitude and excitement. And I, that's something I remember. And clearly, the guy who sleeps in his car before going to do his dinner theater job is somebody who's going to show up anywhere where he gets to do his art and be happy and have gratitude. That's yeah. I think that's, that's why you, I think it's why you work. You're, you're, that's so always, talented, that's always but, in the back of my brain. Now yeah. I can't say that I live by that code like a hundred percent. Yeah. But everyone has bad days. I've been fucking bitter sometimes. Yeah. Life. Even, even like in the last what, year or so, what just, even with you success, bitter at, 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 even with success, what are those things that come up? I don't know. You, you, there's, there's this, there's, there's this moment and this happened all during Groundhog Day, which didn't run very long. Right. It got these amazing reviews. Yeah. And, like, I couldn't believe. And it was, like, one of these shows that I was, like, I'm fitting really well into a role. I've done my homework. I'm busting ass. I know exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm, I feel like I'm cooking on all cylinders right now. And it was it was an interesting thing. It's, like, you come into this there's like come from away is going on. Dear Evan Hansen is going on a big show. Hamilton is still rocking. Yeah. And, and it's like, there's not enough asses to fill our seats. And you're just like, oh my God, it's like, how do we, how do we, how do I have this thing in my hand that I have like an Olivier from London and I have all this stuff and the, and the critics are saying, yes, yes, yes. And, and the show closes and it's like, so like unbelievably bitter at that moment. Just yeah. like how, like, I put in all this time and also like with an injury that happened right before opening. Yeah. It was like, I am spiritually giving you everything that I possibly can. I am taking all that stuff that I took from, you know, Baltimore and I'm bringing it all here and yeah. I'm making, I polished it and I'm, 
you know, I got all the tricks up my sleeve. And if there's something that's perfect or imperfect, I roll with it. I can do it. If we don't have the set doesn't move, we shut this thing down. We sing it out front of, in front of the the uh, the people yeah. in front of the stage, which yeah. happened. Ray Lee and, was on the podcast and he told the, the story for and us. It's, and, and how the material is just like works all by itself yeah. and like now add all the stuff that Matthew War just did and like you have Tim mentioning you know, this great writing and everything's working and all the cast is fucking amazing and you just look at it and it was I sort of felt that way about Rocky as well when that closed a little too soon I'm like like is it so I'm thinking like is it me like people fucking hate me and I I hate you back I, I'm like <laughs> yeah. I, I don't understand what you want I don't understand what this right. world wants as far as as far as that so I, you know, I spent the time it closed. I started working right away. Like I knew I needed to keep working, even like on an injured leg. I was like, so I did like a a television show. I so I did a independent movie, and then I got my surgery, and then I did the television show, this television pilot, um, because I knew I needed to like not sit and brew mm-hmm. with that that like sort of spine tingling bitterness yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was like you could ask Orfe she, she knew how hard it hit me and uh, it's like I just hated everything I hated everything about the Tonys I hated everything about the uh, about Broadway I just like I didn't want to see it again I don't want to talk to it talk about it again yeah. um, so on the other side of having so much gratitude when you're coming up and then going to those spots you're like well what does it all mean I, I need to take the time for myself I'm not exactly sure what it all means. I just know that if we keep moving forward and we keep working towards doing our best work, no matter what it is, eventually the 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 sort of calm to the storm happens, and, yeah. and you realize I can be grateful, I can be bitter, I can be all these things, and it's okay. Yeah. Um, it's a tough one to live with because people want to like, so are you really pissed off? I'm like, yeah, pissed off, but I'm okay. I'm fine. And I'm, and the people who worked really hard in other shows deserve just as much effort and work because everybody's doing this great amount of work. And you just, so it's, it's all, it's all like different levels of all that. So yeah, super grateful about my position in life to work as an actor. Yeah. But also, like, extremely bitter at a certain point. Like, and, and, like, I'll always watch out for that. And I'll always be yeah. aware that putting yourself out there will, can lead to being, like, kicked in the face. Yeah. In some, like, yes, I should be grateful that I'm working. I'm an actor. I'm lead on a show. It's a tremendous show. People like me for it. It's fantastic. But it's sort of like when you're looking for something like being accepted for all the work that you've done and all the, and standing on the shoulders of all these people that you worked with and being able to give you, give everything. you sort of like, as an actor, we're out there in front of me, an audience, boom, dot. what'd you think everybody? And they, people are like, yay, next. And you're like, oh man. So the world is kind of cruel that way. Um, so, I mean, just, I kept, keep moving forward and finally got over the extreme bitterness into a more aware bitterness. I feel like you're, you're never going to give something anything less than your entire heart and soul. You, Andy. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how you work. 
And so when something closes way too soon, as Groundhog Day did, I didn't get to see it. I mean, I was angry because mm-hmm. I knew half the cast. I wanted yeah. to get to be able to come and to New York and see it. it and everybody loved it. Everybody loved it. Was, everybody had a moment to shine. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. No, and, and I know that it was a phenomenal production. And <clears throat> when things close too early like that, it, it's always sad. But when you know that it works and that it's great and that for mm-hmm. some reason part of this equation that we nobody can really ever figure out for sure how to yeah. make something work when it it just doesn't connect with people buying tickets and that ends up being the deciding factor of things get to keep going it's devastating and it's i can't imagine how you wouldn't take that personally mm-hmm. and from who I don't know. You know, it's like, is it the audience that doesn't know about it? Or is it the people? Yeah. Who, who do you... You're trying to make a... You're who, trying to point fingers. Yeah. You can't. You can't really. Like, it is... There's some kind of crazy magic that goes into a show crossing a threshold of just running for an appropriate amount of time. And I don't think that people realize how difficult it is mm. to have that rejection. Because when we think about rejection in our business, we think about auditions. Yeah. Well, no one comes to all my shitty auditions <laughs> and sees, you know, like me next, you know, like. Yeah. But when you're the lead of a show and it's your baby and your face is plastered all over it and it closes early, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and I know so many people have been through that in their lives. And like, it was really interesting that. It's, I think it's, here's, here's just like a lesson for anybody who's listening. It's like, I have never stopped being highly aware of my peripheral vision Hmm. of seeing other people's reactions to things or other people's acting and how good somebody is or how like, oh, I don't want to do that, whatever. Um, Or something like on the 20th century, brilliant production, another like glowing review for the show especially for Kristen Chenoweth. Right. Like, like it was this amazing thing. She also went on to host the Tonys while we were doing the show, which I'm like, you're insane. You're going to co-host the Tony with Alan Cummings. Right. While you're doing 20th century, which is a monster role basically uh, that she was doing and giving nothing but love and nothing but pouring her heart out there. And, and, and it, and it, and when and there's nothing to say like when she didn't win it's like the Tony it was kind of like oh it's like it's not the amount of effort it's just whatever's hitting right at the right time yeah. it's so many variables can happen um, you watch like somebody who's at the top of their game sort of Funnily, she was so she was she didn't win the Tony. She played it off very cool, and she was like making jokes on camera and right. all stuff. But I know kind of how much she put in. Mm. I saw how much she put into this this role, and I saw also how much she's not a girl who's going to show you a lot of pain and anguish and yeah. tears because she didn't win. But I was like, I know that meant something to her. I know that, yeah. meant, and it's not the say of like say that she should have won man it was total rob it was just like it happened that way and from that i could see it happening to her i was like i could see everything when when groundhog day 
went sort of like in, in that way. I was like, I had at least the perspective of, of watching somebody who like in my mind, cause I was in the show, like she was everything. She gave yeah. everything. She should have, she should have won. It was amazing. I wasn't in the King and I, so I don't, you know, I'm sure it was the same way over right. there, but it just gave me an interesting perspective of how like, you know, there's, Seeing it outside of yourself yeah. and knowing, yeah, I, that happens all the time. When I see somebody experience experience uh, rejection or something bad in this business, and I'm like, my God, they've done everything. It actually makes it a little easier when it happens to me to know that, hey, yeah. if this person who I admire and respect so much, who I've seen give everything, has disappointment, then I can take it too. Right. And these are luxury problems. They I mean, are luxury <clears throat> problems. And I know that. And you know what? Everyone listening on this podcast knows that... I talk to everyone on all parts of this business. We all are going through ups and downs mm-hmm. in different parts of our journey. But it doesn't mean that what you're talking about doesn't hurt. Yeah. And I think everyone can understand that. If it didn't that. hurt, that would be a problem. Yes. Because we're very passionate about what we do. And yes. it's like when you pour yourself out there, it's like, <clears throat> yeah, you can have all the perspective in the world, but like... Like with Rocky, I was just like, I was getting busted in the face every, every single night of my life. Night. And I would black out sometimes because I'd get take a wrong hit to the face and I'd black out for like two seconds, like like a second. I would just see complete black. <laughs> that, final sequence, that final sequence of Rocky was one of the most astounding things I've ever seen in a live theater. I, Absolutely. I, I ranged between uh, uh, 40 pounds off and on between rehearsals and, and the last show, I was like, I was up and down because I would just like, I was just sweating and doing everything I could and like climbing that hill and climbing those stairs and going to the gym and and, 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 and giving every scene its full yeah. worth. Cause I completely believed in it. And that's, I mean, the journey, that journey is part of the triumph. That's my own like award I can take, take yeah. with me. Um, you know, it's like so much of Broadway is geared towards, and now we're, I'm in another show and I can see it start to go that way. We're all gearing up to try to get all them nominations and yeah. votes. And right. And it's already, sure it's we, not even like six like, months away. Like, uh, that's the, I start to feel a little panic because I'm like, uh, it's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. Right. It's about, it's about the work. It's about, it's about making the audiences every night believe in love and believe in the chemistry between Samantha and I and, and, and right. making sure that it all works the way it's supposed to work. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Um, it's hard though, because you have people who are in charge of, of producing it and they know the power of, of, you know, the Tony awards are a wonderful honor for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I've lost one. I'm very yeah, honored to have lost I one. Know. But I'm you, so you, proud when you, when you were nominated that. Oh, uh, thanks bud. Um, so right. But you know, like it's also just a really, really elaborate marketing campaign yeah and it's fantastic because it brings theater into people's homes once a year they get to see all the shows on one night i love the tonys i love what they do but when you are a part of like a tony process mm-hmm. and you're a part they the uh the weight of each one of each campaign or each show it's it's tremendous and especially yeah. when you again are the face of it people might not know who wrote the show you're in, they might know who's producing it. They might know the person who's been working on it for years, but they know Andy Carl's in it. 
And, you know, you walked out on that stage and got entrance applause. And I was like near tears. I was so excited. <laughs> I know that you've earned that, but you're still like, yeah, you're still Andy who came to the Falcon to play Fonzie. Today, yeah. And every you know? time that it's like, if there's ever applause from the audience as I'm coming out on stage for the first time, it makes me more hyper aware of like, I need to tell the story and make yeah. sure that they don't think of Andy Carl doing, they see right. Edward Lewis doing it. I'm like, yeah. Oh shit. I, I, thank you so much. But let's let's move on to telling the story. You really inhabit your characters, though. I mean, we were getting at it with you being a, a secret character actor. But it, I, we were talking about it before because the the cast recording is about to come out for a Pretty Woman tomorrow. Tomorrow, yeah. yeah I don't know nice. when your podcast. I'm going to put it out tonight, probably. Okay. So we'll yeah tomorrow. Um, you are so well suited to Brian Adams, your voice Thank in you. this, and I didn't. I just didn't expect you to be able to. To pull that off in that way, um, and I think that it's because I think you, you, I think that you utilized who was writing it in the style to inform who your character was as well. Like this is the way that Edward would sing. I, I get it's it's a little it's a bit of real toss up with that the vocal stylings and this story and this character, right? Because Edward Lewis is pretty. He like went to boarding school. He's yeah. from, you know. Probably went to Connecticut boarding school with the Trumps, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, uh, he's from this world that is all luxury and paid for, and he's he's got all the privileges of life. So what does that guy sing like? What does he talk like? Uh, there's been, it's like trying to figure that out. And Brian Adams is, is definitely has a style, and you can definitely hear his voice in the show. So... It's it's really interesting because as an actor, I'm like I want to. I'm trying to fight this rock and roll sound yeah. that wants to because it's sort of mixing with the Edward Lewis like listens to classical music and opera. He's right. you know this is the kind of he plays the piano. He, he's he's very musically inclined, but it's all been based in classical music. Yeah. How do you give this guy a voice in in the rock and roll life? But uh, you just sort of succumb to it. You're like okay, well. It's a show that involves a certain style of music and then a certain, the music is sort of mostly soliloquy in the show. Yeah. Um, There's a few tunes that are definitely like storytelling. And I think there's, those suit those characters more. As Edward Lewis, I sing in more of a soliloquy most of the time. Yes. Um, So his inner voice is like this rocker that um, she's bringing out of him yeah you know it's yeah. almost like that's what you know what so, the whole show is is her kind of bringing that rock and roll or you know free spirit and like out. i was talking to the like assistant director he like keeps trying to pull me back into more of like a tell the story classical sound right. musical theater sound he's not he's he's suggesting it and i'm like right. i get what you're saying but um, People don't realize that there is an on, always an ongoing discussion yeah. or, you know, notes or, or like, because a show is not put up on a stage and then it lives exactly the same way. It changes every night because mm-hmm. we change every night. We're different. We're different actors and doing different parts of it. It's, so yeah, it's been interesting doing styles of music in musicals. Um, yeah. Because an Aaron's and Flaherty Rocky is... Uh, is it another battle? It's like, how do you, this piece, people want to tell stories, but they're trying to find the musicality of the sound of the character. Um, Which, speaking of, I'm sorry, but how did you figure out how Rocky sings? 
because they, I, that's an, they, like, I, mean, talk- I think they did a lot of work yeah in there they were they were putting everything low and they're right. like slowing like the music was more like more rock uh folk ish sort of yeah. sound that Aronson Flaherty can surprisingly do well um and uh because there's there's just so musical theater inclined and, and they tell such great sweeping like ragtime is a phenomenal score that kind of stuff yeah. um it was it was just like once I had the voice, then the voice had to like kick into the like, my nose ain't broken. So it was it was very character influenced. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that worked for that one. This one is just like Edward Lewis has more of like a rock tenor sound in his voice. And yeah. I, I you know, you sort of give into it because you're just like, that's what the score does. And the score and the music are actually very romantic and very power ballady uh songs and very sort of rock power ballads which actually works very well for for telling pretty woman the musical right. this sort of 90s yeah fantasy oh yeah movie musical that that needs to have that that vibe about it um and it's not that it sounds like it's pulled from the 90s it's just that it's these sweeping rock ballads and and it really it works well and and just sort of like hit the whole thing just smooth like butter. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't seen the movie in a while actually. And I was kind of amazed how the entire story felt kind of like how you're talking about going back to school and feeling like familiarity of it. Mm -hmm. Like just the story going through and be like, Oh yeah, that's what happens. And, and the, the music was so helpful in that there's a nostalgia there, but it's, all completely new, which I did. I thought I might miss some of the songs just on the right, on the the, the, uh, soundtrack. the soundtrack, which is a great soundtrack. It is. It's a great soundtrack, but I didn't, and I really felt, especially by the end, that you guys had earned every single moment of uh, that. Y- you were able to pay tribute to the film mm-hmm. without being like completely, you know, beholden to every single line that they said, just checking off boxes. You were telling. A story on its own. So there were still cheers from the fans of the of the yeah, movie. Yeah, I heard a few people shout out the lines before. <laughs> yeah, I, heard, I was yeah. like, are you kidding me right now? Yeah, yeah. There was, um, there was definitely. I think that's what you know. A musical like this is is dependent upon the nostalgia, and it's it's nostalgia and sex, which is, right. which are great yeah. sellers for any. It, it is very sexual. Um, hey. It's and it's we we got it we got them both but then it's like it's lifted by this sort of fantasy musical version of it which yeah. makes sort of like your makes you a little tingly because you're like you're like oh I'm rocking out and Pretty Woman is like the coolest movie ever and it's all yeah. great and they and they do depend heavily on the on the script from the movie um, which that was another another battle like. It that Jerry Mitchell is very good at this. He's good at making that smooth over by transitions, so you're not cutting and pasting and editing like movies. You're making these transitions right. into the next scenes and adding a character here and a character here that will help navigate you through the entire show. He's he's so, had a lot of experience yeah. with with kinky boots, yeah. hairspray. He's been involved with a lot of movies coming to Broadway. Yeah. So and 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 so have I. Which is yeah. this sort of thing of like okay, we're dealing with nostalgia and how much of it do we want to use? How much do we want to create our own thing? Um, Groundhog Day was this really beautiful, like, I know they spent a lot of time with that script. 
tearing it apart, putting it back together. How's this world going to work? They created this world around the philosophy of the, of the show. Um, Pretty Woman is creating a world around the nostalgia of the movie, which is so important. I think if you tore Pretty Woman apart and made it something completely different than people remember, yeah. you're, you're running into... Uh, Come on in. Oh, hi. Oh, who is that? That was my Beautiful wife. woman. Do you want to say something on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> hi. Hi. I just crashed the party. It's, it, we're just, it, we're recording right now. Hi. Do you want to say hi to the li- Living the Dream listeners? Hi, Living the Dream listeners. This is Orfe. <laughs> Hanging out with Rory and Andy. It's the show is going to start at, at seven, so we are we're you know, probably not too much more time. But you, we can hear like the dressers. There's mm-hmm. music in the mm-hmm. background. That's the best part about recording. I just come and room. say hello, and then I'm out. Please, yeah. yeah so out. yeah, my wife is. We're we're cute. literally just <laughs> getting to the subject of you. Here mm-hmm. I am. <laughs> so you're right on cue. Perfect. So. How? But well, while you're here, I wanted to talk to you guys about working together. What a, well, what, would you? Is it okay to ask you some questions? Yeah. Here? Why are you? Have a seat. I'm oh, okay. what a gentleman! <laughs> That's exactly. We're not. Right. A, we're You're not on right. tape. You don't have to pretend to be a gentleman. Some gentleman was giving her oh, his seat. You're Notice, funny. I did not. I no, sat right no. where You're, I was. You, you no, but the that's fine because I'm like. Mm. You're driving this engine. <laughs> um, you guys have worked together, and that's how you met. Yes. But this is your third time working together. This is our third Broadway show. Mm-hmm. Our multiple. Every kind of show, and we do a lot of concerts together. Yes. But we have done a lot of off-Broadway and regional, oddly. We've done a lot of regional together. Really? Yeah. How, I mean, obviously that's how you met, so it's kind of like what you knew of each other. Right. But how do you make that work, being on stage, having the same schedule? Does that, is that a good thing? When you've not no, it's a really good thing. It is. Uh, I, I think over the course of our marriage, the fact that we've spent so much time apart has been a good thing because yeah. we could never get sick of each other because there are periods of time we literally never see each other, right? Right. But when we get to work together, it's the only time we're ever on the same schedule. Yeah. So it's the only time we ever actually get to go, oh, good morning. Oh, good night. Oh, you want to have a meal? You want to go together? You want to go home together? Yeah. It's really the only it's time. Making up for all the date nights that we've missed. Yeah, that we've right. missed over the years. I mean, there was a five-year stretch, I think, other than a couple of random concerts here and there. We didn't see each other. Yeah. Barely, you yeah. know? So it's it's the best of all worlds when yeah. we're in a show together. And I don't see him on stage, as you know. We have no stage time None. in this one. Yeah. So... Except a curtain call. Except a curtain call where and I get to hold his hand, hand, and I'm really paying much more attention to Ezra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. but I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's you guys have really been able to do it more than a lot of other Broadway couples, I think. Especially because you're both playing great parts when you're doing it and getting to do well, it's great God. opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you seek these opportunities Absolutely. Out? Yeah. Yes. And there were many times I didn't get the part. In the show he was in. Yeah, yeah. It's not like, you know, we make calls and say, hey, uh, you're going to put Orfe in this show. It yeah. doesn't, it doesn't, it hasn't yet worked that way. Yeah, Maybe yeah. now. <laughs> but, you know, there were parts I didn't get that I wanted in shows that I wanted to be in, not just because I wanted to work with him, but because I really wanted to be in the show. Yeah. So it doesn't always happen. So when it happens, we're really happy that it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, we were talking a lot about rejection. Yeah. And even not just in auditions, but... In like when shows close, like we talked about Groundhog Day and how difficult that was. I know that for for my husband, he hates 
he's not in the business and he's, he hates seeing me upset about it. Oh yeah. But for some, when you know exactly what the situation is and what it can feel like, do you take each other's rejection even harder than the person who's going through it? You know, I generally take all of his woes harder than he does because yeah. he's just much more mellow than me about that kind of stuff and yeah. I'm much more mellow about other stuff so yeah. it's a good thing that we don't have the same flare triggers you know what I mean yeah, like yeah. what I get upset about what I freak out about he doesn't and vice versa so I take I took the whole ACL tear on stage really oh, hard yeah. because people were tweeting private messaging me which I don't private message anymore one of the reasons is that they were saying Andy's dead like, it was stuff like that. So I, I tend, you know, a word to the wise, check your stats before you start texting people's yeah. husbands, wives, and lovers. Yeah. You know, um, so that's hard. But I generally take, like, when he loses a Tony, I take it really hard. And yeah. I'm the one who wants to storm the castle. <laughs> right, I'm the one right, who right. wants to pull a Kanye and run up and grab Taylor Swift's <laughs> trophy out of her hand. Um, and I have threatened to do that on yeah, multiple yeah. occasions. But, um I think I take it harder than he does, and I think that's the thing we balance each other out. When I'm nuts, he's not. When he's nuts, I'm not, and it works out. But I do take his moments of not such fabulous moments yeah. a little bit harder than he does. Yeah. It means more to me. I think for for both of you, you can see how much dedication the other person has put into their <clears throat> yeah. career. Yeah. I know, I mean, I'm going to have to have a whole podcast episode with yeah. you to oh, get your back because I know I know I crashed story. this I feel so bad no no no, no. I really was like this was, oh, it was right okay, on cue cool, right cool. on cue Un- because I wanted I, this is what I wanted to talk about but I, I also think that you know you're talking about people messaging you know Andy's dead yeah there's a lot of loving but ownership of yes. you guys yes. in, in our community because everyone adores you both, knows that you guys or are... Or reviles us fiercely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think that's true at all. But, but there's a lot of, like, there are fans and people in this business who, who uh, think that they know you very well. And when you have a marriage, I mean, I can't imagine my marriage being in the spotlight in the way that it is with you. So how do you deal with that? Um, and how, and especially like over social media and, and, and being public, but still having some kind of boundaries. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm from the age of, there was no internet. Right? <laughs> Us, we're both Gen Xers. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, it's a little different. Yeah. Uh, that's my perspective. Like I'm, I'm not a millennial, so I'm not sure like to millennials, it, the internet must mean everything. It's a form of communication. It's like the telephone um, right. for, for my gen. Um, so I, I take, I don't take it seriously. I like putting stuff out there. I, you know, there was, there was a time, I think, was it, there's some websites out there that have chat boards on oh, them. Sure, sure. Mm. And when you're exposed to that kind of like negative and positive, uh, comments, you, it's like it can take you down this wormhole of like, how, what should I think of myself? But as soon as you break yourself of, of that and realize how kind of like it's just people's egos throwing themselves up on some chat board because they, they don't have a, a voice. Which, to by s- the way, word to the wise again or not so wise, no one's anonymous. Right. It just right. takes a simple subpoena to find out who you are and where you live. <laughs> uh, 
And trust me on that. I would not. Subpoena is going to be your child's name. <laughs> no, just no. No, don't. Don't. And that that t- then that brings me to like why I must remain calm. Yeah. Out of sheer yeah. necessity. Yeah. Um, because if I, if we both get on the boat of like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's um, a, a balance. Defense. It's it can it can go wrong, but it but it's like we switch off though. Like, yeah. But she's definitely like. She's she's the the muscle of the group. <laughs> no, no. I talent. always say what I say is I could cure cancer, but Andy's still the one that walks on water. Oh, yeah. No. You know, it's always <laughs> you know the the wife is always vilified in any sort of situation, not just in our world. Well, especially because there are so many young female fans of Broadway. Yeah. When I even as like a gay actor, I always thought that uh, when I when I did. Book of Mormon, I was playing this young gay character that I was going to get fan letters from young gay boys. No. But it's all girls. Well, it's all, it's all girls. girls. A yeah. lot of them young lesbians, which I love, They, you know, that they want to talk about being LGBTQ. And, but the majority are, are young girls. So obviously, a lot of them look to these leading men. Sure. And so, so sure. I can No, listen, there's, I, a lot of, there's a lot of, oh, you're so lucky. Like, like I'm chopped liver. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not walking around with teeth growing out of the sides of my head. And, you know, you know. breaks down for me. It's like, if I'm doing a show, it's like doing Altar Boys yeah. uh, back in the day at the uh, New World stages, which was the Dodger stages at the time. Right. It was this big off-Broadway hit, and we started getting this, like, ownership fan base, which is great. It's what we wanted, but then you realize the stuff that comes with it is sort of like, okay, now I got to, you know, they want me to sing at their birthday party, and if I don't sing at their birthday party, it's going to be all hell to pay on right. social media. Like, where do you go with that? Then Trailer Park, uh, the Great American Trailer Park, which God. starred Orfe, came into the New World stages, and it yes. became this thing of, like, <gasps> new, shiny thing. Yeah. And they all felt like, through knowing me, could get to her and be ownership of this extremely talented, like, verbose gorgeous girl who's on stage and they, it was it became this like circle of of, yeah. of weirdness um and they because we had accepted them as, at, at altar boys through the producers as well trying to like create swirl for the show like a boy man it became this like fan base that felt like they owned us first and therefore, we can own anything that's attached to us. Yeah. And it, it, it can they, look, look, listen, it can get a little ugly. Yeah. It, it can get ugly. For it's sure. Weird, it can get ugly. Because then it becomes a competition between the fans. Like, themselves. who's got the closest relationship? And right. I'm, I, I, you can just hear all the Broadway folks right now nodding violently. Their heads are about to fall <laughs> off because it's no longer about who's. It, it becomes in the splinter cell yeah. of the fan base who's got the closest relationship to Andy who's got the closest relationship to Orfe who's got the closest relationship to you yeah. do you know what I mean yeah. it's like no but they looked at me more and they said seven more words to me and blah blah yeah. blah it's, and listen we're all lucky micro- we wouldn't be here yeah it's a microcosm it's a it's it's how humanity works I think it and is it's but so- it's also it's the nature of what we do it's we, yeah. we put our art Right in front of people, yeah. and then we see them yeah, right at the after. stage door. Right, they after. know where we. The, the, I've said very this a million accessible. times. We're very accessible, yeah. and the entertainment world hasn't come around to the fact that you can't get on a TV set, right. you can't get on a movie set, mm-hmm. you can't. You know, you literally have to bum rush a stage to get yes. to other. You know, to get to a rock star, and right. then you've got 
you're going to get arrested. Right. You know, if someone bum rushes us at the stage door, no one's really going to get arrested. Yeah. And then someone's going to go home and say, oh, the security at the Nederlander was mean to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they were mean to you because you were up in my grill <laughs> and about to make me feel really right. nervous that I'm here. And, right. you know, it's not always like that. No, we're giving no. you the really ugly yeah, ugly. Yeah, no. But it's... it's I, had, it's, I had a fan of the Book of Mormon crash my wedding. You see what wow. I'm saying? So I know that it can get boundaries can be crossed. Yeah, boundaries get they blurred. Feel such, yes. They feel such a connection to yes, you know. your work and your yes, and, and it, it is it is it actually is disappointing because a lot of the time these are people who truly do appreciate your art in a mm-hmm. way that you've worked your whole life. Yes, to to have that happen. So it, it's it's tough, and I think that like that social media has kind of just thrown gasoline on the oh, fire yeah. that was always there. Yeah, you know, there were rent heads outside the Nederlander Theater yeah. sleeping on the street. And I know when it turned. I saw it turn. Saw it. I saw the, the turn. It was it was the rent. Listen, there were always Michael Crawford fans. Don't yes. forget there yes, were yes, yes, there yes. were middle aged women following yeah. him home and standing outside his. Much like crashing your wedding, yes. there were there yeah. were women standing outside his apartment yeah. or, or his house on his lawn going, oh, let me in. So fanhood has never been any different than right. it is now. Yeah. There are just more ways for them to uh, get angry at you publicly, where yeah. that wasn't a thing. It's like. I think the thing about, and I'm, I'm saying this to the fans right now, the level of insatiability is a problem. Yeah. It's like there, there doesn't need to be one more picture or one more trans, you know, right. action between it, you know, another conversation or another playbill sign. If you've come to the show 16 times, you don't need the 17th playbill right. sign. Give a chance to the people that are ever only going to come once. Right. But, you know, the producers you know, of every show are like, Please no, come it's back. great, but I'm saying... Please come back. No, come times. back. Oh. Come back every night. But, but don't get it's mad. Really yeah. If there but, are other people, we have to go and sign their first right. and only playbill yeah. or take their only picture right. with us or just, you know, someone who's from Germany, I'm going to want to pay attention to them because it's likely they're not going to fly in 15 times to see the show. Right. You know, so it's like the core fan bases have to not always be so... Uh, Offended. Yeah. No, there, there are things you have to do. And we're not robots. Like, yeah. yeah we're, like not, we're doing we're not this robots. stuff eight, eight shows a week, but yes. it's like every night yeah, is different. I know. I know that, look, I'm lucky because especially with like Hamilton, I was doing 10 minutes mm-hmm. of stage time and mm-hmm. it was like, you know. It was still eight times a week. Eight times a week. It was but a standout everybody else, the demand um, from the, the Hamilton fans was so huge and they would get upset if other actors weren't coming to the stage sure. door. And, I, and, you know, I was, like, going out there on a regular basis right. because I didn't have to work for... I only worked for 10% but of the show. And, so, yeah. you know, I, I, I just... I think that there is an expectation of, of access to, yeah. to people on Broadway that is... It's, it is and a I'm always happy to accommodate, to but then, yeah. then once you give... Once you know the person who's coming back on a regular right. basis, you're like, At some how about point, this little girl has a moment? Yeah, here. how about the, yeah, exactly. Don't girl. don't give me dirty yeah, looks and yeah, follow yeah. you know my yeah. eye down the line, waiting for me and saying, did you just not pay I attention think it's to me? Reasonable, <laughs> yeah. in every in every way, for for fans not to get upset. Yes, and that, that, if we just set a boundary there, like I think that everyone is genuinely trying to give as much of themselves as possible while they're doing eight shows a week. Right. So 
if people could just not be upset that they're not getting enough. Oh, because it's all by frosting the way, on the cake. Me, the I am a huge germaphobe, and I'm I'm yeah. a notorious germaphobe. You know yeah. me. It's like one of the jokes about me. I'm, oh, a, yeah. you know, so I will wear gloves and sunglasses at night at the stage door. That's just one it's also less so way. Because you're such a superstar. <laughs> yeah, right. That's what I it really, is. I really no, but that. like if they spit in my eye, then that's one less way to get a germ. <laughs> so you know, you you've got opening night, you've got Tony season, you've got this. These are times where you go oh god and it's flu season and you yeah. know every third person on the line is yeah, sick and it's your job you you have to be very you know you have to somehow preserve your own wellness yeah. you know i generally try not to go out i try to pack all the stuff i have to do every day into the matinee days yeah. so i don't go out after matinee days because i'm either running to an appointment running it's again it's not like oh she doesn't come out on matinees it's because i'm packing everything in on those two Absolutely. matinee days so i can see you the other six Absolutely. shows a week Absolutely. so these are lessons lessons for fans by yeah. the carls this, and whole, this whole podcast has been like a oh like looking at the journey of what it's like to first start out yeah get to like everything that you're putting in and being so gracious and 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 then the the world that is open up to you yeah. later as you get up here and how hard everybody's working or how hard people aren't working. Right. And you figure there's so many different sort of philosophies about every, everything that's going on. Yeah. So including stage stage doors. And it's it's uh, it's really interesting. I mean, just coming from what we've talked about earlier to now, it's like remembering to be gracious, but also remembering that we need to preserve what we do as a living make it the best possible thing ever and not make it a competition to, to attain something that's unattainable. Yes. There you go. Um, and so the work matters and everything keep moving, keep moving forward and keep going and never, you can be in, you can be like something I said before, you can be bitter Mm -hmm. and you can be happy and you can be gracious and you can be fully aware all of that together. You can have all those emotions. I We're not expected to be super superheroes. It, what's, what's always amazing to me is when I hear about people's stories, how they started, and where they are now, it really is up to us to decide how we want to be and how we want to feel every day. Mm. So that when you're working at this dinner theater and, and polishing silverware before you can get on stage... You have to decide that you love it and that there are hard parts of it and how to work through those hard parts because that's exactly how it's like when you're doing eight shows a week leading a show on Broadway. You have to make a decision how to get through the ups and downs of, of your day. Your but person. I imagine, but you know what? I always say this. We do this. I imagine it's the same for a bunch of uh, people in medical school and doing their rounds and law school Mm -hmm. and then getting Mm -hmm. a job at a law firm and trying to work your way up to that, you know, to getting partner on the the door. The incredulous people that you have to... That all the people you have to deal with. Like, we're just in one microcosm of the universe. You know what I mean? And to also what we were saying, the stage door today is exactly as it was when I did Footloose. Really? Same exact kinds of... Yeah. kids and the same fervor energy. and the same energy and the same repeat repeat you know yeah. clientele for lack of a better word but they didn't have some place to talk about it <laughs> right they didn't have iPhones that take yeah. brilliant portrait do you know what I'm saying yeah. there was just your interaction 
maybe someone had an Insta camera or, (laughs) you know, this is, we're talking about the stone age now. It's hard for me to even fathom that I've been doing this for 20 Mm -hmm. years. It's weird, but it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. (laughs) Just the, the tremendous amount of avenues with which to discuss it didn't exist. Right. It and was just and your it's the entertainment business. It's very public. It means we're literally on a podcast. Yeah. No, you know, and, and like, podcasts and, are the biggest thing on the planet now. Yeah. It's like you don't want a book deal anymore. You want to get <laughs> a podcast. podcast. Right. It exposes the truth and it exposes the nuances that are involved. Right. I mean, my my, I'm, I'm we'll wrap up here because you guys. I feel so bad. I crashed. I still. No, like, no, this no, is like, perfect. <laughs> this is perfect. This is exactly. I, I'm so so happy that this worked out. It couldn't have gone better. Oh my god. I, I feel like the, the reason that I started this, and I say this all the time here, is to give people a, a, a longer conversation yes. rather than just 280 characters or an Instagram right. picture right. of what it's like. You know, we put out the, the picture of us. Which is a freaking amazing night. picture, by it's the way. So I good. love that picture it's so, so much. Good. Yeah. And it's so fun. But, you know, everyone thinks, oh, man, that's all that Broadway is. It's just joy Look how and great. Happiness. Look how happy it is. <laughs> Exciting yes. they are, you yes. know. There's, yeah. but again, all all factions of life. Right. We are just in this part right. of this yeah. life, right? And um, HBO is going to buy your podcast. Yeah. And we're going to yeah. make a you know four year series based on whatever musical we're doing, whatever movie Um I am. I'm so glad I got to speak to both of you. Thank, Thank you. you so so. Thanks much. for letting me so randomly and unknowingly so good to crash. One of them hanging in a dressing room with you in a Gary Marshall production. I again. know. <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's actually I've done this a few times in dressing rooms before a show, and it's my favorite time to do it because people can hear theater getting ready in the background. Oh, it's real. And Other actors are coming in. It's really happening. Yeah. Um, have a wonderful show tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Talented, Thank you. beautiful, wonderful people. That coming from you. Hello. Hello. Audition side job swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.